Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Keisha Mays. Keisha is a successful serial entrepreneur, visionary global business development strategist, a best-selling author, an angel investor, and a philanthropist. Her primary focus is on helping to scale 1 million fearless female entrepreneurs, generating a minimum of $1 million in annual revenue, turning them into unicorn global businesses through the Her Story Made Angel Fund, which is a fund exclusively for female-founded companies. She pays it forward by supporting nonprofits worldwide that specifically support and empower women and girls. Now, in this podcast interview, we talk about female founders and how to generate a seven-figure business. Keisha talks to us about Just Fearless and the global $100 million initiative aimed at female founders. Keisha is such an inspiration. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Please note that this podcast interview is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Keisha, welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on today. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get into it, I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to where you are today. How would you describe your work and purpose? And you've talked about paying it forward before, and I'm really interested to hear you talk about why it's important to do that. Okay, so a little bit of background about me. I've been in business, I've owned several companies before, but just fearless, I've had for at least 10 years at this point. And I started it as a way to work with women-owned companies, helping them to expand into different markets. I started overseas, I didn't start in the U.S. And then I came back to the U.S. later. And the name even just fearless comes from the fact that people who know me personally will tell you that I am really just fearless. Like I will try anything. Like, you know, who goes to Southeast Asia to live and start a business? That's me. Who goes into the Middle East and without knowing a single person and you know, deciding to expand in business? That's me. So I built my company and my team around working with small and medium enterprises. And when I just wanted to help them grow and help them scale and find resources and it evolved into something so much bigger. And then prior to COVID, I had like this goal of, how can I have a bigger impact? Obviously in business to business, you work one-to-one. You know, it takes time, but like I need to have an impact on a greater scale than one-to-one. So I had the idea of, I need to challenge myself. I want to help 1 million women entrepreneurs generate a minimum of 1 million in annual revenue by December 31st, 2025. Currently that number is like under 3%, I think less than 5% for sure. And I'm like, well, I can get that to 10% by that date that I just gave. That's adding $1 trillion to the global economy. That is adding millions of jobs worldwide. Just the possibilities and the trickle-down effects are endless. So for me, it's on purpose, working with women, helping them to be the best they can be, helping them to achieve their dreams, creating opportunities not only with funding, but then also with community and with Her Story Connections membership platform. And then still working with companies in more of a larger scale capacity. So I hope that answered it. (laughs) It does. No, and that's absolutely wonderful. I love the vision. I love how big it is. I'm really interested in talking about 
female founders and how much revenue do they generate on average? What are some of the reasons that more female founders are not yet generating $1 million? And can you share any stats about Black female founders as well? Okay, so I'll start with the one of maybe why there are so few that are generating seven figures. The thing of it is, there's a statistic from the American Express Small Business Report that states that 65% of women-owned companies are solopreneurs. And so they're the only employee in their own company. So they have to do everything. They advertise in marketing, accounting, finance, business development, everything. And it's hard to scale and to grow when you're the only person on your team to do it. Not saying it's impossible, but it's definitely hard because only so many hours of the day. You still have a life. You might have family, you know, kids, whatever. It makes it harder to scale. So with 65% of female entrepreneurs being solopreneurs, it's a thing that needs to be overcome. So I think for me, it's how to move that forward. It's by helping them to create more revenue streams so they can create more jobs and then takes the pressure off of them and they're able to scale and to grow. When you ask me about Black women entrepreneurs, they are considered the fastest growing segment of female entrepreneurs. When I started, the biggest issue was funding for women in general, but especially women of color. That is absolutely the biggest issue is funding. There are tons of VC firms. We know there are billions given out every year, but for women entrepreneurs, it's always having to prove yourself, prove that your business is viable. Whereas maybe your male counterpart could have had a previous failure and could still raise a hundred million dollars with ease, but you're just starting at funding and you've got to prove that it's a viable product. You've got to prove that you know what you're doing. I know the UK has their own version of Shark Tank. I've been called uh, Dragon Dens, I believe. Right? Dragon's Den, yeah. So you know, we have the Shark Tank in the US. And one thing that Kevin O'Leary always says, his best performing companies are female-owned and female-founded. And it goes to show that women, when we put our minds to something, we do it and we go all in and we do it with strategy, multitasking, everything. And so I want to create opportunities to help women to find the funding if they need it. Not everybody needs funding. Some people could rather bootstrap, rather not take on debt, and I respect that. But the funding is the underlying issue that can literally change generations if we make it more accessible to women without all the hoops to jump through just to get it when it's our counterparts get it with ease. Yeah, I often like to say that the female founders who make it are absolutely exceptional because... They've had to overcome all the bias, you know, systemic bias, yes. you name it, jump over God knows how many hoops, how many times, and they are outstanding. And to be able to then invest or work with these female founders, that can only be very good things for, for the people involved. So again, to meet someone like you, Keisha, you're obviously an advocate, a champion of women. You're helping these women change how they're making money. I'm curious that I want to bring this to life for listeners. What does it take to break through to seven figures? What do you have to do? Who do you have to become? So for female founders listening out there specifically and they're thinking, goodness, maybe I'm turning over 50 grand at the moment or 100 grand. How do I get to a seven figure turnover or revenue? So that's actually an interesting question you asked me. What's the average? I didn't know what the average was in terms of income, but I know it wasn't over six figures in terms of most solopreneurs, but how to get to that point for me, it was when I started, well, almost at this point, almost 15 years ago, when I started, it was trial and error. Like I learned by trial and error, throwing myself into the pit of flame, so to speak, and clawing my way out. 
And I guess fast forwarding now, when I started, there was no social media. That actually helps level the playing field. So when you have the Instagram, the Twitters, Facebooks, TikTok, and YouTube, and Pinterest, and all, you know, Snapchat, and all this other stuff that you have, when I started, that wasn't available. Had I had that when I was developed, it would definitely help level the playing field because it's sweat equity. And so I think now if you're starting and you're trying to like get past that stagnant number, you maybe you want to get to six, a mid six figure, a high six figure, and then seven, and then eight, and so forth. Sweat equity. When you're a solopreneur, it's a sweat equity. It's really utilizing your best time. So if you're saying social media, you got a consumer-based product, social media is your friend. You can use programs like Hootsuite to schedule the social media out, like, you know, months in advance, multiple posts each day. That way you don't have to physically do it daily. And then you can concentrate on other tasks. So it's really about the time management. It is being resourceful, using what's available to you, even being open to like partnerships and Maybe you go speak at your local chamber of commerce and it's networking. We underrate networking sometimes. You know, I'm me being an introvert, I'm not a person who likes to go to networking events at all. And when I started, that was hard for me because I'm just, I like to keep to myself. So I would say that as you're building, you're trying to get to at that point, you want to use social media. You want to use traditional media. Like you have local, regional, and national media outlets. Even doing this podcast, I'm in the U.S., you're in the U.K., and it still creates a mutual benefit for us both. So I think using every available possibility to help grow that income, but finding what works for you. I, it's not a one size fits all. So I can't say this will work for every single person. It has to be what works for you based on your product or service that you're offering and making it work to the fullest. Yeah, great advice. And I think so often surrounding yourself with people who have built a seven-figure business is important. So you you have a constant reminder, right, of what's possible. Because very often, if you're starting a business and you haven't generated, say, more than 50 grand, for example, it's so hard to imagine that your business might be turning over a million or or five million or or what have you. And then throwing yourself with a business coach, someone like yourself, Keisha, who can really help systemize the process is quite important. I think there's one thing I would want to add to that, because I think it's good to surround yourself with people who are doing better than you, but sometimes that's not always possible. Like if you're in some small town, you may not have somebody around you who's seven figures or more in income, especially as a female founder. And I saying it's not possible, but this is when two things happen. One, it's mindset. So like, I think people underestimate the power of the mind. I know you can hear about law of attraction and people get all like woo-woo and all that stuff. I'm simply talking about working on your mind on a daily basis working on your mindset because no matter what at the end of the day you have to believe in you some of my biggest mentors are mentors in my head i've never met them but in my head they're my mentors i'm watching their interviews reading books about them and i work on my mind daily first thing in the morning i'm visualizing i'm meditating like even to this day i still do that and i don't necessarily have people around me my best friends are all entrepreneurs and they are they're all highly successful seven figure eight figure people but it didn't start that way so for me, your mindset, because nobody could believe in you like you do. And there are going to be times when people just don't believe in you. Family, friends, other business peers who may think your idea is so outlandish that they just can't see the vision. It's really about you and what you believe and in internally working on yourself. Really well said. Keisha, I want to talk about Just Fearless and the global $100 million initiative that you've just launched, which is aimed at female founders. Can you share a little bit more about what it is, how it works, and again, why it's important? I did that through my Her Story Connections membership community. 
It's twofold. So the, we, we talked about earlier how the systematic biases that we experience from regular VC firms, funding is still an issue. We see that there are other firms that are geared towards women as well, but it's still not having the impact it needs to have. So my thought was put my money where my mouth is and basically invest in myself, but, but invest in others. And with the Her Story Connections community, it's not just about getting you funding, whether it's grants or through actual equity funding. It's also about creating a community with webinars, masterclasses to help you grow. It's easy just to write a check and get X amount of equity or royalties, whatever that case may be for that deal. But if you're not helping them and guiding them into with your experience that you have to grow or to franchise their business or whatever the case may be, you're wasting money because eventually they're going to burn through it. And then it was a wasted investment. So I figured the best way to go was create a community where I could help guide from a larger platform be able to invest in that community. They have a vested interest in the community. So be able to invest in that community, help them to grow and watch them soar and help me meet my goals. So it's a win-win for all parties involved. And I remember reading in an article the other day that your aim is to start issuing $10 million in business grants this month. Just curious how that's gone. The response has been phenomenal. My team has been like inundated with applications. It's a committee. And so they're actually going through it. So I will say it's overwhelming. And this is what shows like the proofs in the pudding, how bad the need is. And mind you, this is just for a grant. There's no equity for me. So it's only like up to $10,000. It's not like it's a massive amount. Because again, it's just to lend a helping hand. But the response has been overwhelming. Even people overseas are asking, can we apply? And I'm just like, absolutely. The most important thing that be a woman-owned business. But we are still sorting through all the applications Narrowing it down because we won't be able to help everybody, but we're going to help as many as we can and then sort through the applications, reach out to them directly and get the funds out as quickly as possible. Yeah, fantastic. I'm curious about how you've been able to enlist support for the initiative and raise the money to offer the funding. As you say, this is exactly where a lot of female founders struggle. It's a very difficult thing to do unless you have an existing network and you've got a lot of experience in the space. It's, it's, it's very tricky. Can you share with us how you were able to get this initiative off the ground and, and raise the money so you can support female founders? A good portion of it is my own money. Like I'm literally putting my money where my mouth is. Essentially, that, in that saying, is because I see the bigger vision. That's what made me create the Her Story Connections community as well. So that I'm not just burning through cash. There's a purpose behind it. There is resources behind it that can help to scale these businesses. So a good portion is me putting my money where my mouth is and project it out over time. We're not talking about $100 million in one year. We're talking about over a period of time. And then, you know, close friends within a network also. You might be putting up a little bit, but primarily I would say me in the beginning when like this is a new concept, it's a new step. I want to test it out. I want to be able to get the kinks out, so to speak. And then once you get the kinks out, then you bring in other investors, other VC partners that I know. I, I know quite a few people within the community and they want in. And it's like, oh, absolutely. Let's work out some kinks. Let's get this flowing. And then next year we bring in X amount of dollars and then we watch it grow. So I don't think it stayed at hundred million. I should think it increase, but that's just to start and how it's projected to go out, you know, through 2025. Amazing. Now, I'd like to talk about how you invest, because I know you do some angel investing and obviously you're very focused on female founders. Can you share what your investment thesis is beyond investing in female founders? What's your strategy for raising investment? 
obviously your network plays into that. Any other information you're happy to share and, and what sectors and types of startups you're focusing on? I think that's the other thing. It, it ties back to that community for her story connection. Because that for me, it's like, I wanted people to join the community because I, I don't want to limit myself just to who I know. Because as I mentioned earlier, I'm an introvert. So my network is pretty tight. People say that there is six degrees of separation for every person you know, and I get that. But I keep my circle small. So in essence, if I want to grow, I've got to put myself out there. I've got to build the community and reach out to the various organizations to help members join. For me, it's not so much what sector I won't invest in. I think it goes down to three things. One, the vision of the entrepreneur and their commitment. I'm sold by the person. At the end of the day, it's an application. And then there's like, because of COVID, there's video screenings and interviews and so forth that we do. And it's the person that I need a connection with. I need to believe in you. I need to believe that you are all in on this vision. And not just, I had a great idea. I can make some quick money. Let me just do this. No, you are all in on this. So it's the person, it's their vision. What happens beyond this product and service? Is it a one hit wonder? Do you have something, other things in the pipeline? Or do you have visions for how to expand or how to even go beyond that? Because most people, if they have a dream, you know, whether it's a product or a service, they usually have a few other ideas in their mind about other things they want to do along with it. And maybe they're just starting with this one thing or these few things, if it's a, a product. And then the third thing would be, I look at where we're headed. We're headed for virtual reality. We're headed for artificial intelligence. You know, in the internet of things, technology is a big part of our world now, whether it's FinTech, health tech, all the different tech options. And for me, it's what's the industry that we're headed into that I can have an impact on, whether it be even cannabis. Believe it or not, I don't smoke or drink, but I understand that, you know, it's legal in Canada, it's legal in quite a few states in the U.S. and eventually will be legal in the U.S. That's a business that, you know, women are in, but have a hard time getting funding. Technology of all sorts, women are in, have a hard time getting funding. Even like beauty products. I know people laugh when they say when I say beauty products, but beauty products are things that sell in any recession, good times or bad times, they sell. And there's always a niche or a format and I lean towards more natural products for skincare and internal, you know, vitamins, things of that nature. So if you're asking me what my top favorites are, those would be like the focus, but I don't limit myself because I can learn something new. I could learn whether it's biotechnology. I'm fascinated with that now. I'm learning more about it and seeking out more companies that are in it. So it's a list of things that on our website that we don't do. Like if you own a franchise, I do not invest in that. But if you are the franchisor, that could be a possibility. But if you just like say you brought a McDonald's and you're looking for funding, I can't help you with that. If you have no say or control, you must go by their rules and their platform. But it's the whole picture. So I need to see like the entrepreneur, the founder, the service that you're in. Are you all in? And what's the vision that you have? People think it's so easy to start a business. And, and today it's time to really it. But it takes a lot more work than just getting LLC and uh, website domains, a lot more to it. Mm. I'm curious about some of the conversations that you've had with investors, whether it's for this initiative or other investments that you've been involved in. What are some of the conversations and specifically around investing in female founders that you're happy to share? So feedback on investing in female founders, the market and categories that they tend to start their business in, general feedback, I guess, that you've picked up along the way. 
the market they tend to start in, we've noticed a lot within the beauty industry. And then I just make up skincare, hair care, the whole nine. There's always something new going on there. There is technology in terms of fintech because people are looking for other options outside of traditional banking. And we see governments now even trying to regulate cryptocurrency. So even looking at ways to model that, NFTs, things of that nature. Go back to what's coming. So how does the standard that people are expecting of beauty products, you know, health and wellness industry, and then how does that merge into where we're headed as a generation? What's to come? So I think the companies that are having are like, what's new? What's innovative? And even then, who would have thought 10 years ago that you'd have Uber? Who would have thought you'd ever get in a stranger's car and call some of them on the internet and get in their car? So someone you don't know, or even Airbnb to stay in somebody's house that you have never met before. Complete stranger. Who would have thought? So it's what's innovative. And then also the other hand of it is what goes back to the basics. Sometimes when we get away from the basics, things get complicated. What does success ultimately look like for you, Keisha, and the fund and further ahead? This is the how big is your dream question? Oh, I never share my end dreams because my dreams are crazier than most people ever grow life. The one million by one million is very feasible to me. The dreams beyond that are way bigger. But that's the starting point that people can wrap their head around without being like, oh my God, never, you know, it, it's something that's absorbable by people. So that's why I started with that. But for me, the vision goes way beyond one million women entrepreneurs. I can tell you that. I can tell you that I am building towards being a self-made billionaire. I'm already beyond the millionaire status, but being a self-made billionaire, and while that sounds narcissistic, it's not about the money per se, it's about what I can do with it. There's a book about a guy named Chuck Feeney, and I'm going somewhere with this. And he became a self-made billionaire by creating the duty-free shop that we see in the airport. I think he started like in the 60s, I think. And he built into a multi-billion dollar business, sold it. And then his goal was to give it all away while he was alive. So I think he's still alive to this day, or at least when I last checked, he was still alive. And he had maybe all but a few million dollars left to his name because he gave it all away through an anonymous charity he had founded in the Bahamas and gave it all away while he was alive. None of this, you know, Rockefeller generational going on forever, forever. He's like, have an impact. Do it now. Do it fast. So what I'm building towards is building that impact, building to that multi-billion dollar status and to watch myself give it all away while I am alive. That is a wonderful vision. And I love that. How did you get to a point where you felt comfortable creating such a big vision? Mindset. I'm 40 now, but turning 41 later on this year. But back when I was in my high school, my graduate from high school, I always knew that I would be an entrepreneur. I don't even know how. I, I just knew like in my life, I was like, I'm not going to work for anybody else. I am horrible at taking orders. I'm very good at delegating. And I think the mindset started back then because I had my grandmother was the vision for me in terms of being an entrepreneur. She was a solopreneur. She owned a beauty salon, did hair, owned real estate. It's a single mother, raised a family, single mom, because she took care of so many kids and grandkids. In my lifetime, she definitely touched millions of dollars, but she never really held on to it because she helped all her kids and her grandkids. And she was the vision for me. She was that you can be your own boss. You can have freedom of time to do the things you want to do. And I have to ask for permission from others to do things. And you can be the change you want to see. So she had the greatest impact on me. 
but reading books. Like you've probably heard of Madam C.J. Walker. Does that ring a bell for you? It does, yes. So her birth name was Sarah Breedlove, and she and I share a birthday on December 23rd. And I learned that like years ago, and it was just like I was fascinated because she was considered the first Black woman to be a self-made millionaire and creating, you know, this phenomenal hair care products brand. And I'm like, to share a birthday with her, you know, both be cat performers and both be like very driven and focused people. I felt like it's my duty to be a success and not throw away the blessings I've been given and the vision and the support I've been given and work on myself. Let me tell you, I have days I wake up where we heard people talk about the imposter syndrome. I have to fight that sometimes. You've had failures and wins and failures to your lessons learned, but you've had both. You're still here. You're still thriving. So don't downplay your success. I'm getting better about that. But I've been working on me for over 20 years, like working on my mind, still work in progress. And that's kind of like what has moved me towards this level of success. Because I'm like, I believe in me when no one else did. And I think you made a really important point there, which is that it's constant work, work in progress. The work is never done. You said earlier on that you have your morning ritual, you visualize. You have to do that every day to maintain that mindset and then look for ways that you're constantly pushing yourself, right? And expanding and growing. At the end of the day, it's up to us. Like no one can make me happy. Only I can make me happy. And what makes me happy is I want to have an impact in this world. I want to have a change in this world. And I'm not getting political here, but I'm pretty sure the world sees the foolishness sometimes that happens in our political system here. And I don't want to go down that lane. So my thought was, how can I create change that doesn't you know, make me angry or make me divisive? Let's bring women together of all backgrounds. I don't care about your political beliefs. I don't care about any of that. Your religious beliefs means nothing to me. What matters to me is that if I can help you grow and build your business, you'll in turn help others. You'll create jobs. You'll support women who are running for office. And in effect, that will help to change the world over time. And I'm doing it from a positive standpoint rather than being in the place of anger and hatred and division, I'm, I can't live like that. So a work in progress. Wonderful. I'm sure loads of women listening, female founders listening, will be very inspired by your words, Keisha. So thank you. I want to talk briefly about female investors, women who invest. And I'm curious if you have a strategy for engaging with female investors, as I'm sure you know, we need more women who invest, more female investors who invest in the startup ecosystem and specifically female-led innovation like yourself. How do you engage with female investors? How do we get more women to invest? There's an organization called SoGal, S-O-G-A-L, and it's a free organization where it focuses solely on teaching women how to invest in other women-owned companies. And they have chapters around the world. And so I'm definitely a member and supporter of SoGal. And for me, that's a way of connecting with other female investors. My focus primarily is my network in terms of her store connections and the fund that we currently have now. But if I venture out, it's really going through tools like SoGal that I can learn new things. I have a better understanding of you know, new possibilities on deals that can be done and that are equitable for both all parties involved. Learn about new businesses that I might not have heard of. There could be a business you know, in Singapore or in London or even in you know, Johannesburg. And I might not have heard of it if I had not been a member of SoGal or had one of the members in my community to reach out and say, have you seen this business, check out this business and so forth. 
Keisha, you've shared so much and I want to say thank you and, and congratulations on the new initiative. Thank you. Also, thank you for sharing your vision. It is humongous and I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's way bigger. It's way bigger than I'm saying. Trust me, it's way bigger. It's mapped out. Well, you're going to have to come back on the show. I don't know, we'll have to do regular interviews. I would love that. Where you give us an update three years from now, five years from now, and we'll see just how big the vision is. And I'm thinking about women who might be listening to this, perhaps they've inherited money, maybe they have just been paid their first bonus, and they're thinking about investing as an angel. What would you suggest to these women who might be a little bit apprehensive and perhaps they don't know anyone in the startup ecosystem? How do they get started? A few things. First, that community I just mentioned, SoGal, I would ask them to check that out and go to their website, S-O-G-A-L, Google it. I don't know if it's .com or .org, I'm not sure. But to Google SoGal and maybe join a chapter and then they'll be able to like self-educate because it's free. It doesn't cost me anything to join SoGal. And they can educate themselves about investing, educate themselves about things they should look for and just how the process, the standard process at work and then make it work for them and to fit for them. In terms of how they find deals, a lot of times, a lot of companies, when they start, they start through bootstrapping, you know, using their own credit cards, savings and funding. And then they also use a family and friends round, which is also very popular where they have family and friends to invest in them. So if I'm them, I'm joining SoGal. If I'm in the U.S., maybe I'm looking at a program called SCORE, which is funded by the Small Business Administration and looking for new companies that are up and coming. I'm looking at family and friends who might have a business that might need support and then seeing what that looks like in terms of what the revenue projections are and so forth. And you got to dip your foot out in the water. I mean, it, let me be clear that not every company going to hit. When I say hit, you're going to lose money. <laughs> so if you're in this, you're not obviously not in it to lose money. But just be clear, that's a real possibility. As with any investment you do, you can lose money. And you have to be okay with that. And as you test your feet in the water, then you start to get more confident. So you start small. Maybe you start a small investment seed fund and watch it maybe get royalties or watch it grow. And then maybe you go a little bit bigger. Maybe that company starts to grow and you invest a little bit more in that same company. But just to how do you get over that fear? Really just, just to do it. You got to test the waters. The bigger the risk, the greater the reward is the same. So there's a saying that I really believe in. And I think it's not only to entrepreneurship, but even to investing. But I say as an entrepreneur, you jump off a cliff and you build a parachute or an airplane on the way down. So either you're going to land decently or you're going to soar. But either way, it's a risk. You're jumping off that cliff. So if you're looking to invest, start with family and friends. Start with those you know. And then one final key thing on that, get everything in writing. Contracts. I don't care if it is your best friend. Contracts. So that there's no misunderstanding down the line that this was not a gift, that this was actually an investment in you for whatever the deal was, equity, royalty, whatever or a loan or whatever the case may be, get it in writing signed by both parties. That is that's an absolute must, especially when it involves family and friends. Sounds like that might come from a few hard lessons, Keisha. <laughs> <laughs> Contracts are so, so important. I'm just going to add, it's worth checking out angel syndicates wherever you are. Investing in a network, in a community is so much easier. You could learn yes. from other women and it makes it feel less lonely and less worrying. And you can combine, obviously, other people's insights, perspectives, and experience, which means that what you decide to invest in should be de-risked. And then, of course, you're never investing 
all of your net worth, right? God, no. So this is really important to emphasize. Yes. You might decide to only take 1% or 0.5% of your net worth and then you're diversifying that investment. So you might split, if, let's say you got 10 grand or even five grand, even one grand, you might decide to split that across several startups. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Because again, it, it, it's a risk no matter what, how you play it, it's a risk. Because anything could happen. You know, you know, anything could happen tomorrow. You know, stock market could drop, anything could happen. I don't put all my eggs in one basket. So I make sure that I'm spreading my risk is diversified. So that should one or uh, one or more fall, I'm still not all in on one thing where it could cost me everything. I've got to ask you about crypto. Okay. Where do you stand in terms of how you invest in, in crypto? How do you think about your crypto investments? It is the riskiest. <laughs> it is the absolute riskiest. I do better just to, just to honestly just throw money out in the street and walk away. <laughs> like I think it's the absolute riskiest, but it's where we're headed. Like it's one doing your research, right? Knowing what you're comfortable with. Like obviously Bitcoin, it, it fluctuates daily. Like that's the other thing. Like if I invest in whether it's Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, or whatever it might be, even Dogecoin or whatever, I don't look at it every day because if I did, it'd drive me crazy. So I look at it, put it away. I mean, I mean, I invest in it and then put it away out of sight, out of mind. Because otherwise, you're going to see the up and down fluctuations and you'll be having anxiety and not able to sleep. So it's still unknowns in it, right? So we know that you can now use Bitcoin and Ethereum to buy things. Ethereum is good for NFTs and investing into that. But Bitcoin, you can actually use in real life, even Dogecoin, which Elon Musk promotes so much. Just understand cryptocurrency is, to me, the biggest risk. But as with any risk, you've got to be willing to lose if, if it comes to that. So, you know, start small. Test the waters and do what's comfortable for you. Maybe you start with Ethereum because it not only backs in, in terms of a currency that can be used in other capacities beyond the fiat currency, but it also is used in the NFT world if you like to go that route. So start small, invest, and don't look at it every day because otherwise you will go absolutely bunkers. Well, I do look at mine every day, Keisha. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot. I won't. I, I really shouldn't. It's become a bit of an addiction. I agree. You shouldn't ideally. But it's so important to know what you invest in. But we're not looking for expert status. We want you to invest a little bit and start learning and learn as you go. It's a constant process. It never ends. And also, I would say invest in what you understand. Maybe you don't have the time or even if you've studied like a cryptocurrency, you still don't get it. Do not touch it. If you don't understand it, don't invest in it. Like I don't invest in things that I don't understand. So I think you asked me earlier what sectors. There are certain sectors like that I don't get. I don't have the time to really invest into like really looking into it. And it's not that it's not a viable sector or industry. It's just, I don't understand it. I don't have the time to look into it. So I don't invest in it. There is no ill will towards said company or founder. It's just, I have to invest in what I'm comfortable, what I understand. Just a person can't explain this in an elevator pitch to me and it makes sense. I don't want to take that risk because you're going in basically blind. Very well said. Kisha, thank you for sharing everything you have today. If listeners want to find you, if they want to connect with you, how can they do that? So our website is justfearlesswomen.com. So just, J-U-S-T, fearlesswomen.com. Or you can go to herstorymade.com. And we're also on social media at I am just fearless on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So reach out, you know, my team responds to all emails and join the community. Amazing. Thank you, Keisha. 
Thank you so much, Anna. I love to have a great time. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse, or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.